Miserere nostri Domine, miserere nostri, miserere nostri Domine, miserere nostri, miserere nostri Domine. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. A mission, as we have been noting, is a moment of grace. While taking seriously the words of St. Paul with which Lent begins, Today is the day of salvation. Now, in fact, is indeed the acceptable time. And so we open our hearts to the grace of the Lord that meets us here in this place on this night. Confident in the merciful abundance of that grace, we acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves for this night of the mission. I confess. Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, great God, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may, through the powerful intercession of the Holy Virgin Mary, by his passion and his cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Please remain standing. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, 
I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and bring your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. The words with which our gospel reading conclude are quite important. Jesus did many other things that are not written in this book. In other words, the gospel doesn't even pretend to be a comprehensive historical account of things. That's not to say it's not historical. But it is to say it's not written merely to give us information because the Lord is not interested in satisfying our curiosity. Rather, these things have been written so that you might believe. Not so that you might have knowledge, not so that you might have information, but every word is written for the sake of moving the heart to belief. This is why we stand for the reading of the gospel. This is why during the liturgy of the word we understand the proclamation of the gospel is the high point and that Jesus addresses us with a particular intensity in that proclamation that is different from anything else. It is why the only book that we carry in procession in the liturgy is the book of the Gospels, not the lectionary, which is actually prohibited. Note how particular that is. And it is why oftentimes at Mass when the book of the Gospels is used, it is enthroned on the altar and then borne in a procession, however long or brief, to the ambo for the proclamation. And the book of the Gospels sitting on the altar communicates something wondrous as well. Because the primary symbol of Jesus Christ in our churches is not the crucifix and it's not the tabernacle, it's the altar. The primary symbol of Jesus Christ in a church is the altar because it is the altar where we celebrate his self-giving. It is the altar where the victory of the cross comes to us time and time again, and we get to participate. And so the altar of sacrifice, where we feast on the banquet of his self-giving, is the primary symbol, because we understand the Lord as that one who lays down his life for his sheep. Note how marvelous that is. In the book of the Gospels, enthroned upon the altar of his self-giving, reminds us there are many things that could have been said, but these things have been said so that you might come to believe and in believing have life in him. Note how serious then the words of the Gospel really are. 
These words are here for the sake of you having life and not for some other reason, not for some lesser reason. That having been said then, we do well to attend to the words in the particular gospel that we have before us tonight. As we continue our reflection upon the mysterious wisdom of the cross of Jesus, we have a gospel reading that at first glance doesn't seem to witness to, doesn't seem to address directly the cross. And yet every word in this reading is pregnant with the mystery of the cross. The setting is simple enough. The setting is simple enough. The disciples are gathered behind a locked door on a Sunday in the place of the Last Supper, where the first Mass was said. And so let's do the math. This is a reading about what happens on a Sunday in the place of the Supper, in the place of the Mass. And that having been recognized, we understand that it is a reading that speaks as well about what happens here and in any one of our churches. This is not merely a historical reminiscence about a handful of guys in a locked room and their private moment with Jesus Christ. Because if that's what it was, it wouldn't be in the gospel, which is written so that you might believe. There is something public about this, something collective about this, something about what it is to gather on a Sunday that this reading addresses. And so here we have that great first day of the week, First day of the week that is every bit as mighty as the original first day of the original week. When God said, let there be light. And there was light. Because on this first day, out of the dark night of the tomb, Christ rises to life and breaks the power of death. And a new and greater light is now present in the world than that first light at the very beginning of creation. And so it is then. There's a locked door and frightened men. And behind that locked door, they are together in a communion of fear, a communion of insecurity, a communion of uncertainty, a communion of despair, a communion of sadness, a communion of tragedy. Because everything they had expected from Jesus came crashing down with those hammer blows by which he was fashioned to the cross. And their own sense of their own strength and their own faithfulness came crashing down on that night they came to arrest him, and they scattered. And they look around at one another, disappointed, each one in the others. And when they look inward, they find another degree of disappointment, each one in himself. And when they consider the horrible violence of the world out there, whose Hatred is so strong, it swallows up the very best of us. And nothing stops it. Of course, they feel frightened. And so the door is locked. And they gather in that locked room. Of course, when we lock the world out, the other thing that happens is we lock ourselves in. A locked room always creates a prison. Always. And so note, it is not just that the world is out there, it is that they are in 
behind that door, and they're not going out. How many, how many hearts are like that? However active one may seem to be in the world, how many people live locked within their hearts in their resentment, their anxiety, their insecurity, their self-doubt, their self-hatred? How many families live this way? And how many communities of believers as well? Angry, frustrated, frightened, bitter, the words of faith on the lips, but the locked door of insecurity imprisoning the heart. This is what we see here. This is what we see. And it is here into this gathering that Jesus is pleased to arrive. And as is the case time and again in the Gospels, Jesus is not polite. Notice he doesn't knock. He doesn't ask permission. He simply arrives on a Sunday in the place of the supper because that's what he does. He arrives. He needs no invitation. He needs no permission. He needs no one to open the door and let him in. That is the convenient myth we tell ourselves. Just let Jesus in. Jesus can find his way in. The issue is what do we do when he arrives? And so it is here. The Lord doesn't knock. He doesn't ask their permission. He appears among them. We don't even know how long he was standing there before anybody noticed. But he appears, and as he appears and he gets their attention, he speaks. What a word that he speaks. Peace be with you. This is the first gift of the risen Lord to his church. Peace be with you. And how important it is that this is the original gift because it is the peace of Christ, the peace that the world cannot give, that stills the troubled heart, that calms the frightened mind. It is his peace that casts out fear. It is his peace that calms anger. It is his peace that consoles sorrow. Peace be with you. And as he says this, and this peace begins to settle upon them because Jesus is never aspirational, his word is effective. As this peace begins to settle on them, they look to him, and what do we hear? They rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And the first fruit of this peace is joy in his presence. But there's something curious about this joy because it's inadequate in a certain way. It is good, it is necessary, but it needs to be brought to a completion. And so the Lord says again, peace be with you. He gives his peace twice. How curious that is. Because the Lord understands how difficult it is for us to receive his peace in the first place. The Lord understands that his peace has a depth to it that we do not, ma dude, we do not master right away. And so he gives us a peace that lifts our hearts and lifts our spirits. And our temptation is as soon as we feel that lifting of the heart and joy to think we're done and we're ready to go. And it's at that moment that the Lord says, no, you're not. Peace be with you. Receive it again. Receive it now. Receive it into this newly uplifted spirit, and you will receive it with a greater depth. Note how remarkable this double giving of his peace is. Because he doesn't say, receive the Holy Spirit. 
until he's given his peace twice. He doesn't say, as the Father has sent me, so I send you, until he's given his peace twice. Just like as we heard the other day, we want to hurry to pick up your cross and follow me and skip that part about deny yourself. So here, we like the, as the Father sends me, so I send you, receive the Holy Spirit and go. We like to jump right into that without that necessary first step. Peace be with you. And again, peace be with you. The gift which is the condition for the receiving of all other gifts. And our hurried, impetuous hearts that are always afraid of missing out on the next thing, so often skip that piece. So often miss the importance of pausing and letting the Lord strengthen us with that first. Because there's time enough to do all the other things if the Lord makes us ready. As the Father sends me, so I send you. But note what he says. To the group hiding behind the locked door, afraid of the world out there for a variety of reasons, I'm sending you there. Because note, he's not sending them to the other side of the locked room. As the Father sends me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. But then as he does so, he continues to speak in this absolutely remarkable way. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Know what he doesn't say? Go and make disciples. Know what he doesn't say? Go and bear the good news. Note what he doesn't say? Go and work great dramatic deeds of power before the eyes of the unbeliever. Go and forgive. Go and forgive. Because the Lord came to save us from sin. Go and forgive. Note this thrust. I send you for the reconciling of the world. I send you for the forgiving of the world. I send you with the word of mercy and the word of forgiveness. All of the other things will come, but they come around this. Whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And what a remarkable gift this is to a group of men huddled in a locked door, embittered by their fear resentful and angry at what the world has taken from them. Go and forgive. An absolutely remarkable moment. We don't know how long Jesus stays, but we do know that he was with them. And so the Lord leaves, and after the Lord departs from the disciples and they are coming to terms with this wondrous and surprising encounter with Christ, we find out that somebody wasn't there. And so Thomas returns to the room where the other ten were. And on entering the room, Thomas is surprised at the change in his brothers. They're excited. They're on edge, and he wonders what on earth could have happened, and they say, we saw the Lord. And Thomas says, no, you didn't. And they say, Thomas, we saw that he stood right here. He was here. No, he wasn't. You've got to love Thomas. And they say, no, Thomas, Thomas, he was here. He showed us his hands, he gave us his peace, he was here. He gave us a mission, he was here. No, he wasn't. 
Thomas, why won't you believe us? Why was the door still locked? Why did I have to knock to get back in? They never unlock the door. Frightened witness is no witness. Timid witness is no witness. And to understand Thomas's doubt, we have to understand he's the guy that wasn't behind the locked door. We don't know why. Maybe they ran out of food and he went out for pizza. Maybe somebody had to go out and try and find out what was going on and get the news. Maybe Thomas just hadn't found his way back yet. We don't know, but what we do know was this was the man who didn't shut himself up behind a locked door. And if he was only just now finding his way back, he was taking a risk in doing so. And right now then, what do we see in front of us? A sobering lesson for what it is for the church to try and give witness to those who have been living in that frightening world and have been working hard at not letting that fear master them and overcome them. Whatever their imperfections may be, and when that one shows up, and the witness is tentative and timid and hesitant, and the door is still locked, why would he believe? Why would he believe? If we go back about 30 years or so, there was a lot of energy in the church around the world around the idea of a new evangelization. And if we're honest and we look at some of the efforts here in these United States, very few of them went very far. And it begs the question of why? Why, if we're all going to dedicate ourselves to the new evangelization, does it come up so empty? Does it prove to be so ineffective? time and time again. And perhaps the key is right in front of us in this reading. The great preoccupation was, how do we get those who are out there to come in here? When perhaps the real question was, what's the quality of what we're doing in here? Because what are they going to experience when they come? This is what Thomas's doubt puts in front of us. What is going on on Sunday? What is going on in the place of the supper when the community comes together? When the one who's out there comes in through those doors? And note, this is not a matter of saying we need to have a hospitality committee to meet him and ask him 6,000 questions. This is not a matter of we have to have music of a certain style. there is an element of what does it really mean to say, we've seen the Lord? What does it really mean to say, I've met Jesus? And so let's go back up again and take a second look at Thomas. Thomas, he was here. He showed us his hands. He showed us his side. And Thomas says, and all you did was look. He showed you the hand. He showed you the side, and you stood on the other side of the room and took a look? Did any of you guys touch him? Did you at least shake his hand? Well, no, but he was here. He stood right there. Note what Thomas is saying. I need more than a look. I need more than you giving me some dreamy testimony about how nice it was. I won't believe. And his, his language is intense and off-putting and incredibly presumptuous. I won't believe until I take my finger and stick it right in the hole where the nail was. I am not going to believe until I take my hand and insert it into that side that the lance cut open. 
In other words, Thomas is saying, he died. And I need to touch that. I need to meet that. This is real. This is harsh. This is what happened to him. I need to touch the victory if the victory was won. I don't need to hear that you had a look at it. I need to meet it. And you're talking to me like a bunch of guys who is just happy to have a look. How is that going to convince me? You took a look and it wasn't enough to unlock the door. Note the difference. And here Thomas is saying something very vital and very important. He is taking seriously, even if he doesn't quite have these words, even if he doesn't understand it in this way yet, that the cross is in fact the key to knowing Jesus, including in his resurrection, which is why the Lord still bears the marks of the nails. Because if the cross wasn't the key, if the cross wasn't important, he wouldn't keep those. But it's the nail marks that identify him as the one who was crucified. It's the open side that identifies him as the one who suffered all those things. And he doesn't lay those things down because it was by those things he saved us. And so Thomas is saying, I need to know that. I need to meet that. I need to touch that. And what a long week that was. Thomas, we saw him. No, you didn't. Thomas, we saw him. Then you go get the pizza tonight. And what do we hear a week later, once again, on a Sunday, where the disciples are in the room of the supper, Jesus appears, and note what St. John Stick sneaks in there, even though the door was locked. They never did open it. Note how remarkable this is. And yet, as imperfect as this is, the Lord is pleased to appear again. He doesn't knock. He doesn't ask permission. And this time, Thomas is here. This time, Thomas is here. And once again, the Lord enters, and once again, the Lord leads with, peace be with you. And of course, now it has the note of, oh, stop fighting. Peace be with you. And again, the disciples rejoice, and here Jesus then turns to Thomas. And note, note, as bold, as crass as Thomas seems, note what Jesus says. And you, here I am. Here's my hand. Come forward and touch it. Any of the other ten guys could have asked for this, but only Thomas did. Come forward and touch it. Here's my side. I will not hold it back from you. Come forward and probe it. Touch it. Know my victory, and in doing so, know me. Know me as the one who suffered the worst of the hatred of the world and was not destroyed by it. Know me as that one who poured out his life for you and yet is still alive. Come, touch my victory. And again, you know, you have to love Thomas. Because if it were one of us where maybe we were just a little prematurely bold with our words, and the Lord did that, we might find ourselves saying, no, Lord, I'm good. 
it's all right, I'm okay. But not our boy. Thomas comes forward and he touches. He touches where the nails were. He probes that side cut open by the lance. And he falls to his knees before Jesus. The other 10 guys didn't do that. Note the difference. They rejoiced when they saw the Lord, but Thomas touched him and he hit his knees. Note the difference. Note the difference. The other guys said to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas from his knees says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. The greatest profession of faith in the New Testament. My Lord and my God. From the lips of doubting Thomas. From the lips of the one who said, I am not content with the testimony of a bunch of guys who want to live behind a locked door. I am not content with information. I need to meet him. I need to know him. I need to touch him. Note how marvelous that is. And in doing so, but note where the touching happened. It happened in the place of the supper where the community gathers. And note what that says about the importance of Sunday and of coming together on Sunday, because that's where this happens. And so it is then that Jesus turns to Thomas and said, well, you've seen, and by extension, you've touched, and you believe. Blessed are those who haven't, who won't because they're not going to physically see me. They're not going to have the direct experience I'm giving you. But what they're going to experience is you. Because the church the Lord sends forth is the community that goes into the world to do that, to bring the full reality, the touch of his victory to a world that is lost in fear and sin and guilt and darkness. Jesus isn't going to show his face directly. Jesus isn't going to stretch out his hand directly and say, here it is. And yet across 2,000 years, through his church, that's what he has done. How absolutely beautiful and how marvelously powerful this is. And having said all of that, let's pause again and think about what happens in the place of the supper on Sunday. Because as much as, as well as we think we know the Mass, we really don't. And there is much more to the depth of this sacrifice and this sacrament then at times our familiar routine of celebrating it opens up to us. For example, on this altar, after the gifts have been prepared, after the prayer has been said, without asking permission, mysteriously and wondrously among us who is here but Jesus Christ body, blood, soul, and divinity, all of which can be summarized by saying the person of Jesus Christ is personally present on that altar. And consider what happens. We get up from our knees, rejoicing in his presence, and we pray with him the words of the Our Father, after which, note the prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, 
and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will. And the first gift of the risen Lord present on the altar is once again his peace. That is not in the liturgy by accident. That is not a happy coincidence. The first gift is the gift of his peace. And so note as the priest greets the people after that, note what he says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Not peace be with you always. It's a very specific peace. It's his peace. And so in that moment of the Mass, I am not greeting you. I am wishing you the Lord's peace. And you're not receiving a greeting from me. You are opening your hearts to his peace. Peace be with you, the Lord says, his peace. And so when that next moment happens, which is an option, but normally in most places it's always taken, let us offer each other the sign of peace. Note what we're doing. We who have received the peace of Christ then turn and share the peace of Christ with one another. That's not the moment of the friendly greeting. It's not the moment of, wow, it's been a while. How are you doing? It's not the moment of, what are we doing afterwards? It's not the moment of, how many hands can I shake? It's not the moment of turn and wave to everybody in the building. It's something greater than all of those things. It's take the peace that you have just received and share it with your neighbor and be willing to receive it from your neighbor. Note how powerful that is. Note how powerful that is this deeply mystical moment that masquerades as a social occasion at times. The peace of the Lord be with you. The peace of Christ be with you. And after that exchanging of peace, a peace we first receive and then share among ourselves, note what quickly follows. The bread is broken, reminding us of him who says, unless the grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it remains only a grain of wheat. But should it die, it produces a rich harvest. And the elements are held up. The presence of the Lord is held up. The eye of the body sees not his face. But the eye of faith, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. And what do we hear? Behold, see the Lamb of God. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the risen Lord. And in doing that, we acknowledge him, we profess our unworthiness, but then what do we do? We all get to be doubting Thomas. Because the Lord comes down off the altar in the hands of his minister. And just like he said to Thomas 2,000 years ago, he comes to his place, he who has just given his peace, he whose presence fills us with joy when we recognize it. And he stands here and he says to each one, Here's the hand that bore the nail. Come forward. Come forward and meet it. Here's the side cut open by the lance. Don't stay in your place. You come forward. Come forward and touch my victory. Come forward and know who it is that is with you. Come forward. And what do we do? We get up and we come forward. 
Note how beautiful that is. That coming forward, that stretching out our hands to him. And note the physicality of the sacrament. His body is placed in your hand. It looks merely like a piece of bread, but it's him. And you can touch him. Be not unbelieving, but believe. This is why it is so very important for we clergy to preside at liturgy in a way that takes seriously his presence. This is why it is so important that when we gather, we gather and we pray in a way that takes seriously his presence. Because when we do that, then those who find their way in from outside, who have been boldly navigating this frightening world, trying not to be mastered by it, they can look and they can see that they have met someone here. And that is a very, very important thing. What a marvelous, what a marvelous account this is. Thomas, who across the centuries has gotten the bad rap of being just merely stubborn. And yet note the holiness of that stubbornness. The stubbornness that says there's something missing in what you're telling me. And it may not be that your information is wrong. It may be that you yourself haven't made full contact yet. And the beauty then of that call, that call first to the believing community, to be about meeting and knowing the Lord, so that when it goes forth to bear witness, when it goes forth to give testimony, it speaks from that contact that has been made. Because what does the Lord say that first night he appears to them? As the Father sends me, so I send you, which means sooner or later, those doors get unlocked. And that doesn't just mean sooner or later you let the world in. It also means sooner or later you go out there to meet that world, to touch that world, and to bring the mercy that I won for this world through my suffering and my dying on the cross. Oh, you bring it to them. You bring it. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. What a remarkable synthesis of mission of Christian life. But note how it begins. It begins with uncertain men gathered behind locked doors on a Sunday in the place of the supper. And when we recognize that, we should see that there's hope for all of us in all of our parishes and all of our churches around the world. There is hope for all of us. Because Sunday after Sunday, whether those doors are locked or not, the Lord does show up. And as long as the Lord shows up, there's always that chance to stretch out the hand to find the nail mark, to extend the fingers, touch that open side, and to probe and know the very depth of his mercy. But note how marvelous it is. The cross remains the key to knowing who he is. And that is the other thing that Thomas points out. I must touch the one who gave his life on the cross. But I need to touch him, not in his defeat. I need to touch him in the joy of his victory. What a marvelous, what a marvelous desire that really is. And it's the very essence of what Lent is for. Because at the end of Lent, what do we do? We celebrate the holy days. And in our celebration of the holy days, we celebrate, in a certain sense, the making new of all of our things. 
we receive them again as if for the first time from those mysteries that are their origin because we touch them. On Holy Thursday night, we receive again the gift of the Eucharist. On Good Friday, we come forward and we quite literally touch the crucifix in veneration, one after the other. And on the celebrations of Easter, there is the blessing of baptismal water, that water into which we are plunged so that we might rise, as he did, toward the promise of eternal life. How absolutely wonderful. So it is only good and right then that on this evening we bless water. You guys remember to bring your water, right? So it's probably time to begin fishing out your water, get your bottles, your jugs, your buckets, whatever you have ready. As I said, as much as you bring, I will bless. We're just not allowed to make a mess here in the church or I'll be in trouble with Lori. Holy water has its origin in the sacrament of baptism. And very early in the life of the church, after baptisms were celebrated, the water that was used in the celebration of baptism was set aside and placed at the entrance of the church. So that those who passed in would put their hand in the water sign themselves with the mark of the Lord's victory, his cross, and in so doing, remind themselves of who they really are, baptized into the dying and the rising of Jesus, sons and daughters of the living God. The first purpose of holy water is not to ask for a blessing. The first purpose of holy water is to remind us of where our Christian life begins, in that font by which we are given the gift of new life. And over time, as water began to be used in blessings, the secondary effect is to ask the Lord's protection on those he has identified and received as his children. Note how wonderful that is. But this idea then of the water that first reminds me of who I am so that I do not forget, and then that water by which I call upon the blessing and the protection of the Lord. And as St. Paul says, this water, which we use in the sacrament of baptism, this water which is blessed and set aside, is water that is imbued with and by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, that cross that saves us. St. Paul will write of baptism as being a baptism into his death, so that we rise with him plunged into his dying and his rising, the dying and the rising of him who plunged into our weakness, of him who plunged into our fragility, of him who plunged into our woundedness and rose triumphant from the grave. Note how marvelous that is. If you have more than one bottle, uncap at least one of them. If you have only one bottle, just uncap that one. The blessing that we will be praying has three parts to it. First, there is an exorcism and then a blessing of salt. And then there is an exorcism and a blessing of water. Then finally, there is the mixing of the salt into the water and the blessing of the mixture. For those of you who didn't come with salt, I've got you taken care of, I have it up here. So I will pray the prayers over the salt up here. I will mix them together in my little bucket when the blessing is over, I will come through the congregation, splashing you with the holy water. Your water will be exercised. Your water will be blessed. 
The exercise and blessed salt will be up here at the end of the night waiting for you to come forward and take a pinch and add it to your water, okay? And then you will have the entire, the entire mixture. Note as I pray this, the biblical references in this prayer. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Thou creature of salt, I purge thee of evil by the living God, by the true God, by the God who ordered thee through Eliseus the prophet to be cast into the water to cure its unfruitfulness. Be thou a purified salt for the health of believers, giving soundness of body and soul to all who use thee. In whatever place thou art sprinkled, may phantoms and wickedness and Satan's cunning be banished. And let every unclean spirit be repulsed by him who shall come to judge the living and the dead and the world by fire. Amen. Let us pray. O almighty, everlasting God, humbly we implore thy boundless mercy that thou wouldst deign of thy goodness to bless and sanctify this creature of salt, which thou hast given for the use of mankind. May all that use it find in it a remedy of soul and body. And let everything which it touches or sprinkles be freed from uncleanness and assault from evil spirits. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God eternally. Amen. Thou creature of water, I purge thee of evil in the name of God the Father Almighty. In the name of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that thou mayst be water fit to brace us against the envious foe. Mayst thou be empowered to drive him forth and exile him together with his fallen angels by the power of the selfsame Jesus Christ, our Lord, who shall come to judge the living and the dead and the world by fire. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who for man's salvation dost dispense wondrous mysteries with the efficacious sign of water, hearken to our prayer, pouring forth thy benediction upon this element which we consecrate with manifold purifications. Let this creature serve thee in expelling demons and in curing diseases. Whatsoever it sprinkles in the homes of the faithful, be it cleansed and delivered from harm. Let such homes enjoy a spirit of goodness and an air of tranquility, freed from baneful and hidden snares. By the sprinkling of this water, may everything opposed to the safety and repose of them that dwell therein be banished so that they may possess the well-being they seek in calling upon thy holy name and be protected from all peril. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God eternally. Amen. May this salt and water be mixed together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Author of invincible strength and king of an unconquerable empire, ever the gloriously triumphant one, who restrainest the force of the adversary, who overcomest the fierceness of the devouring enemy, who valiantly putteth down hostile influences, Prostrate and fearsome, we beseech thee, Lord. Consider kindly this creature of salt and water. Make it honored and sanctify it with the dew of thy sweetness. Wherever it is sprinkled in thy name, 
may devilish infection cease, venomous terror be driven afar. But let the presence of the Holy Spirit be ever with us as we implore thy mercy. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, thy Son, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the same Holy Spirit, God eternally. Amen. Miserere nostri Domine. 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 Extra for Sue. Miserere nostri Domine. 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 Please stand. Rising from the waters of baptism, we are named the sons and daughters of the living God, and so we are. It is only right then that we pray together that great prayer of divine adoption, the prayer that Christ himself has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. After this note of reflecting upon the victory of the Lord, we continue our reflections on the cross into this week. This is the last evening service, but the mission continues through the next couple days. Tomorrow in the afternoon at 1.30, we'll gather for a reflection on St. Louis de Montfort, the Apostle of the Cross, with the opportunity to receive a blessing from and then to venerate the relic of Father de Montfort. Friday, we will have our Stations of the Cross at 1 p.m., which will have amplified reflections. And then on Saturday, the Feast of the Incarnation of the Lord, the Annunciation of the Lord, Rosary at 11 Mass at 11.30. At 1.30, we will gather to reflect upon consecration to our Lord through Our Lady. We will give people the opportunity to make or renew their act of total consecration to Jesus through Mary. And we will respond to Pope Francis's call to renew last year's consecration of the world, and in particular Russia and Ukraine, to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. At 3 p.m. on Saturday, I was going to say weather permitting, but we're doing it anyway. I just might be doing it alone. 
there will be the solemn consecration of the wooden crucifix outside the church. That is a marvelous, marvelous blessing. It's the kind you pack a lunch for. Um, and so if you haven't seen it, it is uh, it's a fuller blessing than what we did this last Sunday when we consecrated the crucifix and Our Lady of Sorrows in the back of the church. Thank you all for coming out to pray with us over these evenings of the mission, and we look forward to the opportunity to continue praying with you. The Lord be with you. Bow down for the blessing. By the powerful intercession of the Holy Virgin Mary and St. Louis Marie de Montfort, Apostle of the Cross and the Rosary, may Almighty God pour forth the generous abundance of his blessing upon each of you and all of you. The Lord fill your hearts and your homes with his goodness. The Lord bless you in your resting and in your rising, in your going forth and in your returning. The Lord order your days to the good and to the right and grant you success in your undertakings. May the Lord make of each of you and all of you a genuine blessing to all of those for whom you care and to all who truly care for you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Blessed and Exercise Salt is available here at the front of the church. You only need to add a little bit to your containers. <laughs>